With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. We're at the end of another week and another week means we're a step closer to the return of Premier League football. But how will things shape up next season? How different will squads look and who will be playing where? Just a few questions which will only be answered come early August, but we are already beginning to see some significant signings in the Premier League. Richarlison has now completed his move from Everton to Tottenham for £60 million. How do Everton replace their main man and how much stronger does that make Conte's Spurs? We'll look at that in a minute, as well as the latest when it comes to West Ham's pursuit of free agent Jesse Lingard, Wolves' fight to keep hold of their two most influential midfield stars, and Chelsea's search for centre-backs. Could they call upon a familiar face to return to the bridge next season? All of that to come here on Football Social Daily. A Sports Podcast Awards winner this year, a year in which there's a World Cup, of course. Qatar 2022 kicks off in November, and it could be the most high-tech World Cup of all time. Robot linesmen making offside calls. Not as far-fetched as you might think. More on that shortly here on Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from Sports Social. A new show every Monday, Wednesday and Friday until the campaign curtain raiser on the 6th of August. Then we're back to daily shows. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss a beat. My name's Niall and we've got Marley and Joel on today's podcast. Morning, boys. Morning, mate. Back again. Good morning. Back again. You found your glasses. You were joking before we started recording the show that you felt like Velma from Scooby-Doo. Are you really that blind, Joel? Everyone who wears glasses listening to this, who's over a prescription of, let's say, minus three, they feel my pain. (laughs) They really do. If you lose your glasses, you lost your soul for the day. So thankfully, I'm back in my body again. (laughs) You've put them back on and you've focused in on the headline of today's podcast, which is that Richarlison joins Spurs for £60 million. This deal moved quickly. We spoke about it on Wednesday, didn't we, Joel, on Football Social Daily, where it was just a rumour at that point. Everton could sell him this summer. We knew that was a possibility. We knew Spurs were interested. Two days later, Spurs have announced it. The deal is done. £60 quid. They've signed the Brazilian from Everton. Is that a fair price, do you think? 
it's like we were discussing yeah, uh, on Monday. It's the fact that these kind of they're not the top top tier players, but they're just so in demand because there's very far and few of them in terms of strikers. Really, it's quite bizarre that you know I think Chelsea tried to hijack the move last minute. Um, even though it just wasn't enough money, they weren't prepared to go to that 60 million range. But it is, it's a lot of money for Richarlison when you think he scored only four non-penalty goals last season um, and for a striker. But I still I still am totally convinced that going to Conte and going to Tottenham where he'll have much better players around him, he won't be in a relegation fight. I think he'll 100% go up another level. But for 60 million, I do worry for Spurs because every single time they've had a huge amount of money to spend. They seem to squander it quite ridiculously. Obviously, we saw uh, the Gareth Bale money. I think Christian Eriksen was the only player who really showed any value from that uh, £80 million that was received from Real Madrid. And then I think the last summer of Mauricio Pochettino, they had Lo Celso and Dombele, who are probably going to go for around £20 million combined after they spent about £110 million on them both. So I I do worry when Spurs try to spend big because typically it does not go according to plan. But I think the only silver lining with this is that Richarlison knows the Premier League. He's been in it for a good number of years now. He's still at an age where he can go up onto another level. Um, and I think the biggest part is the fact that they have a manager who knows what he's doing. Um, I think if Antonio Conte wasn't there and they signed him, I wouldn't have any confidence in that in that transfer whatsoever. But I think he he'll be such a asset to how Conte plays in terms of pressing, in terms of having a bit of bite to his team. Because I feel like before it was a little bit toothless. Uh, they walked around the pitch with not a lot of aggression, and I feel like now they have a real kind of warrior characteristics in the side, which should serve them well. But yeah, sixty million is a lot of money for Richarlison. What do you make of Tottenham's intent in this transfer window, Marley? Because they've signed. Perisic from Inter Milan, they've brought him in, which was a good signing for Tottenham. I think most of us agreed on that. And now they've brought Richarlison, who, as Joel says, knows the Premier League and has been involved heavily for Everton over the last three or four seasons. So so what do you make of this signing and just generally Spurs' transfer window under Conte so far? Well, it, it seems like um, Conte has finally been the one to break down Daniel Levy and, and get him to part with some, uh, <laughs> some cash because if, you know a few managers... Before um, Conte have been, you know, they they could see the problems that that, um, that Spurs had and realised that the only way to improve the squad was to spend and spend money. And Mourinho didn't get too much of it. Um, <laughs> poor Nuno Santo wasn't there for long enough to see any of it, um, whether he got it or not. Um, but Conte's clearly went, you know, if I'm going to do my job, you need to back me, and you know, I want this player, I want that player. Um, Perisic, for example, I mean, there's no way. Spurs are going near a 33-year-old who's never played in the Premier League before, despite how good he clearly is. Um, there's no way they would have done that deal had it not been for Conte. You know, a 33-year-old guy coming into, you know, for a, a one or two seasons is is silly business unless the manager really wants him, um, and he does. And you know, that's a a sign of of how uh, how Spurs are operating these days. And they've, you know, by all accounts, it doesn't seem like they stop there. They're going to add another couple. Couple of players before the uh, the end of the window. I think a, a left-footed centre back, left-sided centre back's got to come in. Um, probably uh, Lengley from from Barcelona, uh, and then there's even talks of them getting Jed Spence as well from Middlesbrough, who was on loan at, at Nottingham Forest last uh, last season and, and did really well. But it's um, it's something for Spurs. They you know they they had to do it. You know they they got top four 
now's the time to invest, you know. Chelsea finished ahead of them last season, but Chelsea have got loads of problems on and off the pitch. They've got a lot of work to do in the uh, in the transfer window before they kick the first ball of the season. Um, so they're there to be got at, you know. Spurs' Spurs's um, intentions for the new season needs to be get as close as possible to Spurs and uh, to Man City and Liverpool at the top, not uh, not fight for fourth with Arsenal and Chelsea and win that battle of North London or or well London, um, but uh, yeah, just uh, just try and get closer to to them because they probably have got one of the top three best managers in the league and. When you back him, you know that's uh, that's what you have to be looking at. Yeah, and I think most of us said, didn't didn't we, when Conte went into Spurs, that he will need to be backed, otherwise he just won't pull any punches and he'll just leave. I think we all agreed on that. And Owen, who works behind the scenes at Sports Social, he's a Tottenham fan and he's pretty happy with this Richarlison signing and just in general with the business so far this summer window. And Marley was right to point out that Conte seems to have been the one Joel to have have broken the shackles when it comes to Daniel Levy and and his tight fistedness um is that frustrating for Tottenham fans do you think obviously it's a welcome change that they're spending money on players I mean 60 million on Richarlison um I know it's a free transfer for Perisic but it's uh it's a good player who's come into the club Kuliszewski's decent as well who's arrived recently is it frustrating for the Spurs fans that it's taken a champion manager one of the best in the world like Marley says like Antonio Conte to go into Tottenham and shake things up before they actually start showing some ambition well, to be honest, I think it's actually really encouraging for Spurs fans because judging from the few that we've talked to and obviously Owen, who we uh, speak to about Spurs on a daily basis, is the fact that they realise this is such a window of opportunity for them now because they've obviously got Kane, who's still really into his prime, along with Hyung min Son. And I don't think they just wanted that era to go to waste now. And I think the biggest worry for them was to have someone like Antonio Conte, who is a world-class manager, who's won the Premier League, he's won all of the titles in Italy. He's probably one of their biggest, maybe if not the highest pedigree manager they've ever had in their whole history. And to squander that opportunity by not backing him, I think would have set them back years because they will be, they'll never be able to attract another manager like that again unless... You know, they end up getting Pochettino back and even again, he's nowhere near what Antonio Conte is. So I think the biggest worry for them was the fact that the board may not back him to the extent that he needed to. And it'll be so encouraging for them to see that, you know, they're spending ridiculous amounts this summer. Obviously, Richarlison for 60 million just shows how much the board are willing to go for Conte rather than kind of uh, pulling back on the deal or saying, actually, no, our opinion is you should go for this tier of player. So clearly they're going for the, the style and the characteristic of players that Conte wants and he always requires them as well. We've seen it at every single club he's been to and that when the moment when that does not happen, he'll just leave. He, he's not really a guy to hang around at a club and he knows exactly what he wants. He even said at the end of last season that you know going for top four isn't part of his DNA. He wants to go for the top titles. He wants to be challenging. So you would think that with the transfers that they made, you know, Perisic is a very, very ut- like utility player who can play any side. Jed Spence, very promising. Richarlison, I think, will give good backup to Harry Kane, which he's probably not had for his whole career at Tottenham. I think they're all very, very useful signings that just needed to fill holes that Conte realised was lacking in the side. So it'll be very interesting, but they're very, very equipped now going into next season to fight for titles and cups and try and 
finally bring something back to Spurs because it's been far too long for them to not win some kind of major trophy. And I think next season, if there's any season that they could do it, it's next season now, I think. What do you make of the Richarlison signing in terms of where he fits in? Joel says that there are holes to plug Marley, or at least areas that Conte has identified in terms of strengthening that Tottenham team. But Kane, Son, Kulishevsky, all good players. Is he going to be a bench player at Spurs or do you think he'll start games, Richarlison? I think he'll uh, he'll start plenty of games. I, I don't know whether it's... If you're picking Spurs' best eleven. I don't think he's in that. Um, it depends. I think it's him versus Kulishevsky, basically. Um and even though Kulusevski, you know, if you speak to any Spurs fan, they'll be they'll tell you how good Kulusevski's been. But still, if if you're looking at that front three, he's not he's not getting in ahead of Son, is he? He's not getting in ahead of Kane either. But one thing Spurs have always needed, and we've said it a million times on the podcast over the years, is a backup for for Harry Kane. But it's really hard to sign one because everybody who comes into that club, knowing that Harry Kane's still around, knows that they're going to be number two to him. So the um, the the sort of task for, for Spurs was, would be to sign someone who can play in more than one position. Um, and then that way, he's not just replacing Kane, he, he can come on for for Son or Kane or Kulisevsky in the, in the final half an hour or whatever of of the game or start if there's you know opportunity to, if there's injuries, if there's uh, fitness issues, you know, they're playing you know, uh, in the Champions League, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Tuesday in this uh, coming up season. So there's plenty of games to be had. You know, you're talking 50-odd games and you've got five subs now as well. So it's not like he's going to get starved of game time. Um, and the fact that he can play, you know, either just behind the front person, front man, which would be Kane, or in place of Kane as a centre-forward, I think he struggles there a little bit for Everton, but I think that's because he hasn't got the service behind him. But if you look at who Spurs have got behind him, if he is playing as a centre forward, you know I think he'll I think he'll score plenty of goals there. And even though sixty million is quite a um, quite a, looks quite a steep fee, I think uh, sixty million is the new thirty million. You remember, you know, years ago, all the best players in the world and in the league used to go for about 30, 25, 30 million. And that well now it's sixty, so you know it's not really uh, a sort of eye raising fee when you think of it in terms of of how many players have gone before. Do you think that's a Premier League thing though, Marley? Because Joel made a really good point on Wednesday's podcast and he said, in what other top European league would you be buying a player from a team that finished 17th in the table for 60 million? You just wouldn't. <laughs> you know, you'd be looking at 10, 15, 20, even with that inflated market that you speak of, you know, even from 10 years ago. And even now you see it in other European leagues, the best players from the uh, the lesser teams, with no disrespect to Everton, because they're not a lesser club, but certainly on the pitch, they were one of the worst teams in the league last season. That's a fact. You normally see players go for cheaper, a, a cut price because of that. Um, doesn't seem to be the case in the Premier League. No, but I, I think um, I think the the thing that saved him was uh, Everton not getting relegated. I think if if that had happened, it would have been thirty five, thirty maybe maybe forty if if they're lucky with sort of add ons and things. But you know that's uh, that's just the going rate. I mean, there's that much money in the Premier League. It's hard to compare it to other ones because it's in a league of their own. You know the. You're talking if if this was Bundesliga and Dortmund were signing someone from from Augsburg or you know uh, who Stuttgart or Werder Bremen or something like that. You are probably talking fifteen twenty for the best player, um, but there's there's not there's not that much money in Germany compared to the Premier League. I think I think I seen something the other day where it was uh, 
you know, the team finishing bottom of last season's Premier League got more than the team that finished sixth in, in La Liga. Like this is, you know, it's, it's staggering the amount of money. It's literally on a different, different playing field. Um, so 60 million becomes not that much. And, you know, Everton need to snap, snap anyone's hands off because they've spent money. You know, they've, they've just blown money away in the last five years trying to chase success. And I think it's tough times for Everton coming up now because they've got to balance the books before they, they um, prioritise on-field achievements. And now they've got to sign a replacement for a Charleston for literally a fraction of that 60 million because they can't go and, they can't go and spend 60 million now because, you know, they're, they're back to square one. They've got to spend maybe 10 or 15 and, and use what they've got. They're talking about James Tarkowski on a free. Um, that's, the, that's the sort of uh, shopping bin they're, they're, uh, they're shopping in right now. <laughs> on the way out of Sports Direct, we've got all the footballs. Yeah. The <laughs> they're, they're all dead cheap everyone's walking a, out with a free mug there's always a little kid there tugging on his mum's shirt saying mum buy me a footy please uh-huh. um, I mean how do they replace replace Richarlison you know Marley says Tarkowski Joel um, that you know he's a Premier League player or has been since uh, before he got relegated with Burnley but he knows the league I think he's even played for England hasn't he James Tarkowski so he's a, he's a decent enough player and understands the level but Richarlison not single-handedly kept Everton up, but if it wasn't for his contributions, Everton would have been sucked into the championship. So h- how do they replace someone like Richarlison? Do they do what Marley says and they go for someone from another Premier League team or a, a decent top-half championship player and try and poach someone there? Or do they need to just cast their net a little bit wider and just try and find a hidden gem? It's a lot easier said than done. Well, in, in my opinion, I think they already have the player, which is Calvin lewin but the only issue is that they just can't seem to keep him fit. Um, if we remember his really big breakout season a couple of seasons ago, I think he got, what, 15 goals. Um, and then the injury crisis seems to just really slow down his, his uh, progress. But of course, they're going to need to fill that massive hole in the <clears throat> a massive hole in the squad now, which was a player who really gave Everton a little bit of bite in the majority of the games. But as exactly like both of you say, they can't go out and pay 60 million on a player. And with Everton's track record in the in the in the transfer window the last few seasons i wouldn't even trust them to spend 60 million on a player so they they have to go for a a player who is within their budget in terms of like a 20 30 million asset which is you know known in the premier league can actually just do a job straight away because I, everton are not in a position where they can gamble now i feel like that january window where they went for donny van der beek and delhi alley that was gambling and they they couldn't afford to gamble in a period like that they needed players who were ready to go. They didn't have any promise about them. They were players who could just get into the club and start producing. Um, so this summer, I think, is vital. I'm trying to think on the top of my head who they could actually go for, but I feel like they need it's to just It's not easy, through. is it? No, it isn't. And especially with the money that is going on in the Premier League, no, every single club has a huge leverage, which is the fact that they, they can afford to keep their players. Like you've both said, in, in the German League and in the Spanish League, if Getafe, for example, or even Sevilla, when you look at Diego Carlos, who's just gone to Aston Villa, he swapped Champions League football for Aston Villa. That's no disrespect for Aston Villa, but it's the fact that he's in Champions League football. So when you compare that, yeah. it's... Yeah. yeah. The same with Sven Botman, who's, who's just chosen Newcastle over AC Milan. Like AC Milan are reigning Italian champions. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and in the Champions League, there you go. Yeah, it's, it, this is what I mean. The English clubs have so much leverage and that's why they have to pay these fees. I'm wondering if they can try and prize someone like, I don't know, 
Ianacho or just someone who has a little bit of pedigree in the league who can pretty much come in and start to do a job because it's going to be really difficult to replace. Well, I was going to say replace the goals. I'd say replace the character of him, to be honest. Yeah, he's loved, isn't he, at Goodison Park? 100%. And it's going to be a miss for Everton. £60 million they've sold him for to Tottenham Hotspur. I'm really keen to see how he gets on in that Conte team alongside Son and Kane. One player who, you know, we're talking about who could possibly replace him. One player who I like the look of um, and has been linked to Manchester United, actually, is uh, Arnaut Danjuma, who plays for Villarreal, who's a decent player, who I think could come in and play in that sort of wider role. I don't think he's quite as physical as Richarlison, but I certainly think that he, you know I'd like to see him in the Premier League, whether that be at Everton or, or elsewhere. Um, that's just a personal opinion, but certainly Everton fans will be missing Richarlison next season, I think. There's no doubt about that as they look to try and recover after a really difficult season last time around. One club who had a good season, though, it probably could have even been better, West Ham United, and they're looking to chase down Jesse Lingard. He's officially a free agent now. We'll have the latest on that for you next after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. Transfer talk. It pretty much is all transfer talk this summer as the Premier League season is still four and a half weeks away. West Ham, Wolves and Man City are going to be who we focus on during this section of the podcast. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the show again. Brand new shows every Monday, Wednesday and Friday until the season starts. And then we are back to daily podcasts, seven days a week. No other podcast will do that for you when it comes to the Premier League. West Ham's where we're going to focus on first, though. And Jesse Lingard, who's now officially a free agent after his contract at Manchester United expired yesterday, the 30th of June. They're still trying to sign him. And West Ham have been trying to sign Jesse Lingard for absolutely ages. The latest reports, Marley, suggest that Lingard needs to lower his wage demands for West Ham to really kind of finally go in with a, with a, a firm offer to him and force him to sign. Do you think regardless of that kind of question mark over the wages, West Ham remains the best fit for both Lingard and the club? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I'm, I, it seems to have gone a little bit, you know, like a few months ago, was it sort of January time, you know, Lingard had a few genuine options on the table. I, th- I feel like it's a lot less than that now. I think a lot of the hypes died died down around him um, and West Ham are the ones left, you know, um, who, who still wanted him and, and wanted him all along. Um so I can't really see him joining anyone else than the West Ham. And 
I think to be fair, there's there's a lot of middle ground to be had um, right now because, uh, you know, at the minute you know players are on holiday and they're they're sort of just about coming back for pre-season. A couple of teams are back today, um, so I think once that settles down and, and Lingard thinks, well, I'm not going to go back to Man United because he's out of contract there, so he's literally got a. It's coming down to crunch time now, and you know, for the sake of a few grand a week here and there, I think it'll. Uh, It'll happen sooner rather than later, um, and Lingard can have a fresh start that he's needed for, you know, probably five or six years now. To be fair, um, and uh, I think it works for everyone. West Ham get a player they they know can can produce. Um, they add a bit of depth to their creative department, um, and then they can move on to uh, to other other uh, targets, which are probably going to be centre forward and, and getting some cover or competition for for Mikhail Antonio up there. Yeah, I think West Ham. They need to really think about this carefully. They've done really well under David Moyes the last two seasons, Joel. But do you think that they can carry that on into the next season? We don't know if Declan Rice will stay, for example. I mean, if he leaves, that's a big blow. They have signed Alfonso Areola, the goalkeeper. I think that's a good signing. We've seen Dawson be very good. Antonio's been good. A number of their players have actually been very good under David Moyes. Bowen, of course, he's broken into the England side. Adding Lingard to that will, will no doubt be a benefit as well. But if you think back to a couple of years ago where we saw Leicester finish fifth twice and then last season they dipped off quite dramatically and ended up finishing, I think, 10th or 9th or something like that. Do you think that West Ham are at risk of that next season or do you think that we can see them up and around those European places? Because Manchester United will be back stronger. Arsenal will be back stronger. Tottenham look stronger. Newcastle United are another one to, to focus on. Speaking to Neil from For the Love of Paul McGrath, an Aston Villa podcast on Sports Social Podcast Network, he's ambitious that Aston Villa could even make a charge for those European spots. So do you think it's going to be tougher for West Ham next season? Yeah, and I think the main reason is, just like you mentioned, the likes of Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, United, they were all pretty lacklustre last season. Maybe majority of them had one of their worst, well, especially United, the worst Premier League season they've ever had. Um, but on the flip side, West Ham were, probably had the, one of the best seasons they've ever had. So it was like a season of just pure fortune for them in terms of the way in which the whole uh, platform of teams were were in terms of their quality. But now I'm just thinking to myself, into, they need really good recruitment. And I know they've been linked with Dan Juna, like you said, I don't know if he's the right player. I feel like sometimes when players go to Spain and really show their talent and they haven't really performed amazingly in the Premier League, I feel like they should just stick there um, and not fall victim to the grass is always greener kind of approach because I just think it, sometimes it just doesn't always work out. And he's having such a good se- good seasons in Villarreal. Um, but it's a difficult one with West Ham because they have such a good core still. I think adding Jesse Lingard would only benefit that. I know that he's his stock significantly decreased purely because he's not played at all and he's only getting older. Um, but David Moyes knows that he fits in the system. He knows that when he comes to West Ham, he has a place in the team which really benefits them. Um, I don't think he's decreased massively in terms of his quality. It's just the fact that he's just not been able to get into the United team. And I think the big holdup, and I think it was shown two years ago when he departed from Mina Raiola in t- the end of 2020, just when he was becoming a bit of a fringe player at United. And there was talk of the fact that he wanted to maybe reach for the top tier of clubs like Inter Milan, Juventus, AC Milan. But honestly, with these kind of moves, I, f- I feel like his head's in the clouds. 
is it sounds nice practically and on paper but i just don't see how he would suit any of these top tier teams at all or if he could even sustain himself i just think west ham is the perfect situation for both parties and it should have happened last summer uh the only issue he he has and have west ham have maybe they do have a little bit of um a bit of question mark over whether you know he's still the same player that they had last year because obviously a lot has gone on since then um but i do think ultimately he will end up there it'll be a major boost to west ham but i just see them dropping off next year just because the top teams are just going to get stronger um and if they want to keep up with that their recruitment has to be absolutely impeccable pretty much and i it's difficult for them to keep up with the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, United, Tottenham. We've got mm. such money at their disposal. It must be a source of frustration for Lingard as well that even though he played well in that loan spell at West Ham, I don't think he got into the final Euro squad, did he, for last summer? And the chances are, unless he plays really, really well, presuming he does sign for West Ham between now and the World Cup in November, he's probably not going to be going to Qatar either, wearing a three Lions shirt. He'll be 30 in December, so does feel like he's kind of sapped the last couple of years of his career away and whether you know Manchester United can be um, blamed for that for not letting him leave when they could have let him leave and got some money for him or whether that's a, a problem between player and agent I think there's so many different plates spinning there but it does look like he's going to sign for West Ham in the end Jesse Lingard that one's still yet to be done maybe by next week's episodes of the show that will be a done deal. Let's move on to Wolverhampton Wanderers now, who we've spoken about a few times this summer already, Marley, particularly when it comes to Ruben Nevis, the midfield player. Allegedly, according to one newspaper this morning, Wolves have won the battle to keep him because nobody wants to pay 75 million quid to sign him. Um, we spoke about fees with Richarlison a few moments ago on the show. 75 million is a lot of money um, for a lot of clubs. And... I know he's still 25, he's a Portugal international, he'll be going to the World Cup, no doubt about it. He feels ready to move on by the sounds of it, but 75 million quid, is he worth that? Um, do you know what? I if I, I do, I do actually. Um, I know the, I know it's a big fee and stuff, but I think with, with Neves, it's, he's such a shoe-in for whoever he plays for. I think that it's it's worth it. You're going to get... You know, for a player in his position, like defensive midfield, you know, you, you can get eight years out of him at 25. You know, you can easily place these 33 at the top, top level. Because he's not the the most flashy, you know, uh, sort of eye-catching player, I think that gets overlooked. And then people see 75 million and go, what? Ugh. But in reality, as you say, you know, he's a, he's a seven or eight out of ten every week, I think. Um and you know he's got plenty to his game. He's he's a proper leader. I keep saying it. You know he's he was captain of Porto at eighteen. Like he's he's a proper character, proper leader that that every club needs. And I think with um, if you can get someone to pay that fee, I think it's fair enough because you look at look at defensive midfielders and there aren't that many around really. Um, it's it's quite a specific position where the the level you've got to be at is is so high you look at Rodri at Man City costing 60 million you, you look at the price for Declan Rice is is going to be over 100 when he's finally for sale or you know at, at least 85 90 if if West Ham can get that for him so if you look at Neves and you say is he in those two guys league I'd I'd say just about yeah um and he's uh, he's he's got he can pass he can tackle he can shoot from range like nobody's business. You know he's got a, a one man highlight reel of, of goals he scored, which is just you know anyone would be uh, be jealous of. But 
he's um I think he's done enough at, at Wolves now. I think he's he's done enough to to leave and, and them say, you know what, all right, we're not gonna go any higher than what we have, so thank you for for your service and, and mm. sort of see you later. Um and I think he can go on and play in the Champions League for, for any club that wants him really. Yeah, I mean according to the back pages today, it's looking likely that he's gonna stay just because of that, that fee that Wolves have put it on. It doesn't him. seem like there's somebody it's like it doesn't seem like there's one club chasing him. That's no. you know, like it, we've, yeah. we've said a million times, haven't we? He's, he's an absolute tap in for Man United, but they're messing yeah. about oh can we get Frankie De Jong or you know Ericsson oh, on a free. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if if there's a guy there ready to be signed, I just think don't mess around with Frankie De Jong and mm. maybe sign him because he still doesn't solve the problems that you've got. He's still he's still he's not a ball winning midfielder and that's the biggest hole in Man United's uh, team for me. Yeah, I mean, I wonder whether the £75 million asking price, Joel, is that high. It's just simply because Joel Moutinho is officially out of contract at Wolves as of the end of June, which was yesterday. He's no longer a Wolverhampton Wanderers player. One of those players who's super consistent, much like Neves, and just goes kind of under the radar, but he's 35 years of age. Still very good. In fact, I was quite surprised when I saw that he was 35. I didn't realise he was actually quite that old. He wants a two-year deal if he's going to stay at Wolves, but apparently the club are only willing to give him 12 months more, taking his age into account. He's exploring his options, according to the newspapers today. Do you think Joao Moutinho could stay in the Premier League? There's no doubt he'll be going to the World Cup with Portugal in November, so he needs to sign somewhere. Yeah, he's such a seasoned pro. It's hard to find players like him who've been around for so long, uh, can play in pretty much any midfield and do a good... He's a, he's like a 7 out of 10 player, isn't he? You don't really see him on the pitch, but he just does the easy things so well. Um, if Wolves don't actually take up that option, I mean, he'd be a great option for the likes of Fulham or Nottingham Forest or even one of these new clubs who end up just needing a really well-relied-upon midfielder to just come into the midfield and shore up a little bit. Uh, but I would be I would I'd be surprised if he just didn't go back to, for example, Portugal or um, a Champions League type team and just get some more higher level minutes under his belt. But I'm quite surprised that uh, Wolves aren't just giving him a two year contract because he's, he's still a real uh, he's a consistent player in their midfield and it's going to be hard to replace someone like him. But I'm sure they probably have like another twelve. Portuguese midfielders lined up from Benfica and Porto in the next t- <laughs> 12 months knowing George Mendes's uh, contact list um, but yeah do you think I mean, though do you think like what I was saying that Moutinho uh, and the Neves thing are linked because do you think Wolves are asking for that much 75 million for Neves because they know Moutinho is likely to leave or at least they, they don't have control over that situation they do have control over the Neves situation where they can just say okay you're not leaving unless we get this yeah, well, Neves is their biggest asset, isn't he? And like we mentioned, they they have leverage, which is the fact that they don't have to sell him. No matter what fee, you know, United or Arsenal could offer 50, 60 million and they're well within their power to say no because they actually don't need the money because how hard it'll be for them to replace someone like him who's pretty much a talisman in their midfield um, and it's just the figure pin in their side. To ask for that much, it doesn't mean he's necessarily worth that much. He's probably far from worth that much, to be fair. But then when you look at the likes of Richarlison going for 60 million, and then you look at Ruben Neves, who is probably one of the best midfielders in the Premier League in terms of what he does, and he's only 25 as well. I mean, it's quite justifiable, isn't it? Especially when you see probably West Ham will be asking for, 
I don't know, 100 million for Declan Rice. And I don't really see a huge amount of difference in quality in terms of what they both do. Um, one has an English passport. Maybe that's the only difference. So um, I think they're well within the rights to do that. And that's probably why you'll stay at Wolves because United are looking at De Jong, who is, you know, a top, top quality player, probably addresses the the problem that we have which is someone who can't really get the midfield working and get the ball moving but again you know there's more issues to that midfield and I don't think they're willing to pay 75 million for a player who is just going to take a whole lot of the budget so yeah it, it, him and Declan Rice have just fallen victim to the fact that they're the biggest players at their clubs and their clubs don't need to sell them and they're on long-term contracts which means they're going absolutely nowhere unless a club can offer up a major big briefcase which a club will say okay that's fair enough for me to say yes we can let you go until then it's not going to happen okay Moutinho out of contract never staying put at Wolves for the time being what about Chelsea they need some centre-backs pretty desperately and it looks like they could be turned into one of their old players as we've seen so many times in the past at Chelsea Nathan Ake is on their radar he's the fourth choice centre-back at the moment at Man City do you think he's better than fourth choice Marley and do you think that with the fact that he's played at Chelsea before, he knows the club. The Blues are desperate for defenders because Christensen's gone and um, Silva's getting old and Rudiger's gone. Do you, th- do you think that he's better than fourth choice at City and moving back to West London's a good move? Uh, I think he's. I think he's better the, than fourth choice, like in general. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I th- yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think he's. But he's, he's not better than Stones or Diaz or or Laporte. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. that's a. I mean, that's that's the that's the. Um, tail of the tip at, at, at a top club like that, you know, you're you're gonna get in, and your player is, you know, rated at fifty million or signed for fifty million, I think it was at City, and you you turn around, you look at the three beasts you've got in front of you, and think, Jesus Christ, I might have to play left back for a little bit or see what I can do. <laughs> but I think with Chelsea, if they want to finish, if they want to continue to play that back three system, I think he's perfect for the left side of it. Um, you know he's he's got good pace, good on the ball, um, and a natural left foot, and he can bring it out into midfield and start start attacks from there to replace the um, the outgoing Rudiger who's just signed for uh, Real Madrid. So I think um, it's a good move. He's been at the club before. He's cut. He's they sort of sold him as a promising youngster to um, to Eddie Howe at, at Bournemouth, um, and then they signed him back as the finished article. It's kind of the Chelsea blueprint blueprint really you know sell them sell them young and if they're good enough we'll bring her back one day but you know they've, they've passed on plenty of talent in the past and uh, it hasn't quite worked out for them but I think Ake is uh, good enough to get in the first team I think he, he had a couple of games towards the end of last season where he was colossal for Man City and it was kind of um, a, a sort of little reminder of how good a player he is once he gets to run a games in into him and he can come in with a clear sort of shut up shop tactic um, I think it was against West Ham last, last late last season, I think it was, where he came on and played really well, um, and you know it was uh, it was a, a reminder of how good he is. Um, but if he goes back to Chelsea, you know, I mean they've got is it one centre back at the minute, Thiago Silva, and I think Christensen's still there, but only for but potentially for limited time. So there's a clear gap there. Whether they're whether they're still after Jules Koundé for the right back, uh, right centre back slot is is up in the air as well. So they need bodies quickly though, and uh, if if he's available and he fancies it, you know, as long as City can get a replacement, I think it, it suits all parties. Yeah, suggestions as well that Chelsea could even use Timo Werner as a make weight with Juventus to try and bring Matisse Delict to Stamford Bridge. The 
Dutch defender. Questions over whether that's a, a sensible business plan for Chelsea, who uh, who paid fifty million pounds for Werner a, a couple of years ago, but they do need centre backs pretty desperately. That will do it for our Premier League transfer news. We're actually going to focus on the World Cup next because an interesting story has come out over the last couple of days regarding technology used by referees in the Qatar tournament later this year. We'll talk about it and tell you about it next after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily, a Premier League podcast from Sports Social, an award-winning Premier League podcast. In fact, we picked up a prize at the Sports Podcast Awards. And if that's not a reason for you to hit subscribe, then I don't know what is. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you won't miss an episode of this podcast again. We'll be doing podcasts right throughout the Premier League season and through the World Cup as well, which kicks off in Qatar in mid-November. The first ever winter tournament, at least in my lifetime. I don't think there's ever been one uh, in the winter as long as I've been alive and watching football. So it's certainly going to be unique in its own way because of that, but also because it's the very first World Cup to ever use automated technology. It's been revealed that in the World Cup in Qatar in November, semi-automated technology will be introduced to help with offside decisions and to speed up the game. Basically, lads, what I'm talking about here is robot linesmen. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Here's how it's going to work. There's a sensor in the middle of the ball. So every single ball that's manufactured for the World Cup, they're sticking a chip or a sensor in the middle of it. And that sends data 500 times a second to determine the exact point that the ball was kicked. This is for offside decisions. There are then 12 dedicated multi-tracking cameras around the stadium on the roof of the stadium that are 100% synchronized. They all talk to each other. They track the ball. They track 29 points on each player sending data 50 times a second to calculate the exact position on the pitch. Any player in an offside position will trigger an alert in the VAR booth that can then be relayed to the on-pitch referee and the offside decision will then be made. So this system was actually trialled at the Arab Cup in Qatar last year, as well as the Club World Cup, which of course Chelsea played in and won. Um, I don't remember seeing much about it there, but it was estimated to have reduced the time taken to make offside VAR decisions from just over a minute to around 25 seconds. That's a lot to take in. I'm sure there's a few people listening trying to get their head around it. We've got a chip in the middle of the ball. We've got 12 cameras on the roof of the stadium. We've got data being pinged from cameras to the VAR booth to figure out whether it's offside. What do you think about this, Marley? What are your thoughts on this technology? We saw VAR at the 2018 World Cup and now that's common practice. What do you think of this semi-automated offside (sighs) decision? I think it's Timo Werner's worst nightmare. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, You know, it it all sounds good on on paper, doesn't it? You know, it sounds impressive and all the rest of it. But the the proof with these things is always in the pudding. You know, it's, um, it's getting used to it on on games in real time and stuff, and 
you know, how do you know the sensor's gone off and how do you know it's working and all sorts of stuff. It the one thing I don't always get about technology is it doesn't give doesn't give the players anything to shout at. It's really hard to get in a, to get angry at a machine because you can't see it and you can't <laughs> you can't be there. You know, like unless it's, it's the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's a strange one, really. I don't know whether this is a step too far, um, too early, but ultimately, if it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen in five years, isn't it? You know, it will happen eventually. Technology is becoming part of it. You know, they want to take as much pressure off referees as possible. Um, and, you know, offside is, is a black and white decision. We, we've seen it um, where, you you know, you draw the lines on the pitch and it's frustrating watching it and, and seeing it and you're seeing all these angles and the line gets drawn and it doesn't look quite quite straight and then you realise it's perspective and, you know, the, the, the angle of the thing isn't quite right and then you look at the ball and the ball isn't, you know, it's sort of between frames and that can, it's just, it's very uh, frustrating the whole offside thing now. And uh, I don't, we, we, we don't know until we see it really, do we? But um, ultimately, if it does, if it benefits the game and, it's, and it gives clear yes or no decisions, um, then, then I'm all for it really, because offside is a black and white decision. It's either offside or it's not. So it is one of those things. It's not like a foul where it can be... Um, it can be interpreted either way. So we'll have to wait and see what it looks like and, and how it fits into the game and whether it affects uh, the smoothness and the running and the quality of the, the watching experience. Yeah, I mean, the person who's kind of overseeing all of this, I think, is FIFA's head of referees, which is Pierluigi Colina, the legendary, bald Italian referee <laughs> who was the, uh, the referee of the year for five consecutive years between 98 and 2003. Um, refereed the O2 World Cup final. I think he was on the cover of a Pro Evolution soccer game once as well, wasn't he? he? Was. That's how famous he was. He was on the cover of Pro Evo. What a legend. Yeah, I mean, when you had that bald head and those sort of, darting eyes looking towards you you weren't going to argue with him that's for sure Very if he says good it's good it, it's good you know <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's good enough for me well this is what this guy is saying and, and he kind of goes down the same route as you Marley you're either offside or you're not and I think the key here is not the actual technology not the microchips not the cameras on the on the roof I don't think anyone's too fussed about how the technology works down to the nuts and bolts of it I think the key is the time it takes to make the decision here Joel because the average time to make a decision, uh, offside decision from VAR. This isn't in the Premier League, by the way. This is in like FIFA competitions, so like the Club World Cup and the Arab Cup and stuff. Is around seventy seconds. So one minute, ten seconds. Once the offside is referred to VAR, before we get the decision whether it's a goal or not. And there's been a few question marks over whether VAR kind of takes the emotion out of scoring a goal and that kind of feel good factor and that emotion that you feel when you do put the ball in the net, the spontaneity of it. That's supposedly going to be reduced from 70 seconds to around 25 seconds. That feels to be the key for me. Speeding the game up, making it quicker, making the technology almost instantaneous so it doesn't feel like there's a significant delay in the game. Well, that's what we saw last year in the Premier League, wasn't it? Where a kind of conscientious decision came up on the screen of an offside and you just saw the officials doodling on it like they were playing hangman for a second. It just took too much time to actually get the you know trying to line up the shoulder perfectly with the knee and it's just it, it wasn't needed at all um so i think if this can speed up a game and a decision by 15 20 seconds then it's, it's done his job hasn't it it's fit for purpose in terms of keeping the game going because at times those calls really killed the momentum where if a team was you know really pushing 
a team back and then an offside decision came it just felt like an injury where everyone was waiting around waiting for uh, what was going to be happening next I just hope that it doesn't pull up a kind of Aston Villa versus Sheffield scenario in a World Cup where it pulls up a weird offside call where they're convinced that the computer said it right but in reality it actually wasn't but if they've already trialed and tested it you'd think it would be okay but I just think how incredible it is how much football is changing with technology just over the last five years, you would say. I mean, prior to the 2014 World Cup. Well, it's the 2010 World Cup, isn't it? We, we all watched it when we were a bit younger. Lampard has a shot, hits the bar, bounces down miles over the line. Neuer scoops it out. Everyone's going mad. Every pub, bar, front room in the country knew that was over the line. And the referees didn't. And that's why we first saw the introduction of goal line technology. So that was only 12 years ago. And now look at us. We've got robot referees almost coming into the game. I mean, I, honestly, the way in which is gathering in terms of the technology in football, I wouldn't be surprised in the next five to ten years if linesmen are completely erased and they have just the kind of, <laughs> you know, um, you know, one of those dog track rabbits that goes oh, yeah. up and down the sideline. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of tracks <laughs> the line of the last defender. I would not be surprised if that's the case, just because they want to make football as efficient. Maybe not put a rabbit there, you know, could put some a bit more, more like ruthless, like a pit bull or something, so the players don't start arguing back to a rabbit. Uh, but yeah I, I honestly that's the way I see football going they're gonna try and make decisions as efficient what are you laughing at? Well, I can imagine it's like angry bulldogs on the sideline just barking at people when they're offside yeah out of these sound effects just in case anyone comes up to them so they remember it's a dog oh, um, yeah I can see that's the way football's gonna go they're gonna make it as efficient as possible um, they probably end up putting you know chips in players' boots to see if they've touched the ball last, or just these kind of things, which is going to make decisions to an absolute T correct. Because as mm. we know right now in football, decisions and wrong decisions can cost millions upon millions for clubs and organisations. So they have to. There's now more than ever there's pressure to get decisions right. Yeah, uh, and that's why technology I think is essential up to a point where it doesn't disrupt the play of the game and the kind of integrity of it and you know what integrity is a really good word because I was speaking to a close friend of mine who's Irish last week and we were just talking about generally about football and and the World Cup and you know Ireland haven't been to a World Cup for a while and the Thierry Henry handball came up in conversation Ah, of course and it still hurts oh so much still so bitter about it but I think I would be as well you know if you're a nation like Ireland where there's only five million people that live there and the chances of you getting to a World Cup are quite slim anyway with the, the teams you have to compete with around Europe. For then someone of Thierry Henry's class, quality, calibre from a country like France who have got more than 10 times the population of Ireland to then sort of handball it into the back of the net to send your team through. I can understand why that's that sort of invokes bitterness. But the introduction of VAR, as much as I don't agree with it and I still don't like it, I'm going to die on that sword. I would be quite happily see the back of it tomorrow and just live and die by the referee's decisions. But you know, he's quite adamantly in favour of VAR because of that incident. And I can totally see both sides of it. Um, Whether a dodgy offside will cause someone to win the World Cup or not, um, we'll never know because this year's World Cup in 2022 will have quicker, faster, semi-automated decision-making, according to the latest reports that have come out today. That does us for another episode and another week of Football Social Daily. Make sure you have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. We'll be back on Monday with a new episode of the show as we are another step closer to the start of the new Premier League season. I'm sure there'll be some transfer business over the weekend to keep you up to date with. What are you boys up to at the weekend, Marley? Joel, anything exciting? 
Not for me, no. Um, I'm dog sitting, so that's about as exciting oh. as, as my weekend gets. Dog sitting, my, my, my mate's. Dog. Hey, it's not the dog that's going to be on the sidelines, is it? <laughs> she, she's she's far too old and decrepit for that. <laughs> she's more likely Sounds... more likely to shit herself on the side of the pitch. <laughs> Sounds a bit like the linesman we've already got, to be honest. So it can't be much of a downgrade. Uh, that'll do us for today. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on FSD. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.